Hey, so thankful to be here at Pipeline Church. This is my second time speaking here. It already feels like home. Who was here the last time I was here and spoke? Praise God. I'm so thankful. I remember dreaming about this place and praying with your pastors who have been dear friends to me. And I remember when I got the call to take the position in, in Buellton in the San Inez Valley. Uh, it was actually Jeff and Cindy's house was the first place I went. And we got on a map to try to find out where Buellton was. And, uh, and I remember praying uh, about moving and praying for you. And so it's been an incredible relationship and friendship with them. And I'm stoked to be here. And uh, hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, look at somebody. Say, it's good to see you. Don't lie to them. Just mean it. Just mean it. Now look right back at them and say, it's good to see me too. Amen. Hey, I'm going to jump in just a a couple places. I'm first going to read out of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And I'm so stoked that you're in these pastoral epistles. And 1 Timothy. And then we're going to jump to the book of Mark. And I'll explain why in just a moment. So let me, let me read from, from Timothy here that says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's good news, friend, because you and I were in that category. Amen? To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul writing. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, the immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace today. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that you would encourage us, you would provoke us, you would stir us and challenge us, that we would not leave the way we came in, and that it would be all for your glory and our good. And everybody said, Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 7, actually, chapter 8 starting in verse 22. And let me say this right off the bat. See, I believe that God is writing a story throughout human history. And this story, the good news is, is not about you. And it's not about me. Look at someone and say, it's not about you. Your Instagram might say it is about you, but it's not about you. And that's good news. And, and here, here's the great thing. I'm, I'm no guru. I'm, no, I'm not someone up here who has all the answers. I, I mean, I thought there was a height requirement to come in here. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not tall enough unless I'm the speaker to be in here. I, I think we've really brought the average down in here tonight. Jeff, that's a joke. You can laugh at that. <laughs> vertically challenged. See, see, the reality is that if you follow Jesus around for all of eternity, He would never let you down. It's good news. You could follow me around for 15 minutes and I'll probably frustrate you. You're like, you've been up there for five. I know what you're talking about, right? 
You could, you could follow me around for a short period of time and you would find things that you don't like. And see, that's the reason that it's, a good, it's good news that this story God is writing throughout human history is not about you and it's not about me. It's all about Jesus, is what we say at Crossroads Church, for His glory and the good of the valley. And that works here too as well. And that's great news that God is writing this story about Jesus. And so every week, I know your pastor is opening up the scriptures because the Bible is a story about Jesus. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And see, scripture interprets scripture. And so when you're in the pastoral epistles, they are beginning to be interpreted by the person of Jesus in the gospels. When you read the gospels, you're going to find insight in the gospels about Jesus that's not left up to our own interpretation. You don't get to project onto the person of Jesus who you want him to be. The rest of the Bible interprets the person of Jesus for us. Amen? So when I look at the person of Jesus, I have to have a holistic view of who he is. We've been in this series in the book of Mark at Crossroads Church called The Footsteps of Jesus. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about when we read certain texts, there's a text tone, if you will. You ever received an email and you're like, well, what was that all about? You've read or project, you've had a bad day. We call that hangry at my house. When you have a, you know what I'm talking about? That happens at your house too. I'm huh? just, just well, everyone out of the way, full. Where's the food? I'm done. Pull over, honey. I'm going to turn. This is, I'm going to wreck the car if you don't stop at in and out at the next stop before we get on the grapevine. You know what I'm talking about? Hangry. Right, And all of a sudden, someone buzzes, that, that, that little annoying vibrate in your pocket, kind of, you, you know what I'm talking about, no one, no one uses the ringer anymore, and if you do, you know, don't use the ringer, it's the vibrate, and, and it goes off, and you check, and you check the message, you're like, what? You said, you said what? And we begin to read things through whatever lens that we have projected or or whatever feeling we have, we kind of project that onto other people. And oftentimes when we read the text, it's kind of the same way. We don't have, if 80% of all communication is nonverbal, we lose a lot of communication when we read the scriptures. And that's why context is king. We have to begin to look at the person of Jesus, the entire books of the Bible, the canon of the scriptures, and go, okay, what is this saying to us? Good thing there are people out there who still love the Bible and pastors who love the Bible and preach the Bible faithfully because the Bible is about Jesus. But then can we just be honest that there's some text in the scriptures that sometimes go, what? He said, what? I read what? It becomes frustrated. Just, just me, right? Not you. You've never read the Bible and been frustrated. You look at some text and you go, I, I, I just can't believe that's in there. Listen, you're in good company. If you're new to Christianity, you're new to the conversation of the Scriptures. Our faith comes out of the Jewish faith. And before it was the Jewish faith, it was the Jewish people. And before it was the Jewish people, it was the nation of Israel. And before it was the nation of Israel, it was the family of a man named Israel. And before his name was Israel, his name was Jacob, a deceiver. 
Many of you know this story. Jacob has this wrestling match with God. And, and he says, I'm not going to let go of you until I find the truth, until I'm blessed, till I know you more. I'm not letting go. And God changes his name from deceiver and Jacob and changes his name to Israel. And Israel literally means one who wrestles with God. So tonight I want to invite you into a fight. I want to invite you to struggle and wrestle with the truth of the Scriptures, the truth of the church, and what God is saying to us. Because the definition of folly and foolishness is to believe what is false as to be true. To, to act on something that I believe is actually a, a solid structure. If the stage was to fall underneath me, which I think it might, to step onto a structure thinking that it would hold me to build your house out of sand, which I think would be a great idea. That would be folly. But to look at truth and go, Jesus, what are you saying for me right here, right now? What are you saying for our church can I pastor just for a moment? I know you don't know me well, and you already came into this thing with a little bit of a preconceived idea because you realized I was short, and then you heard I was southern. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Right, that works in the Central Valley. Okay, that's cool. We're all right. You bring notions and preconceived ideas into whatever we're reading, and the struggle is, can we find truth? I want to bring you to this passage in the book of Mark, chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And it says, they came to Bethesda, or Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, not to, begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out into the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, what? And laid hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. And they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him away and sent him home and said, do not even enter the village. Let me set some of the context here. Jesus has been doing miracles. And the person of Mark, John Mark, writes the book of Mark from a perspective of Peter. Peter uh, is believed to have great influence on the book of Mark, as if he was telling John Mark stories about what he saw in eyewitnesses' eyewitness accounts. And there's so many stories in the book of Mark that someone would actually have to be there to know some of the details that are there. And so Peter has this great influence. And the book of Mark takes us from scene to scene, from, from spectacle to spectacle, so much so that Jesus has been doing miracles that they're bringing people out of villages and whole towns to Jesus, and he's healing every one of them. The rumors of Jesus are beginning to spread. And the book of Mark is essentially broke up into two sections. The first eight chapters, and then this, this small little wedge in between, and then another 
big section. In the first eight chapters, it leads us up and begins to declare that there is a king. There is this king, and Jesus is this king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one coming. Jesus is the one to change everything. And then when we get to chapter 11 through chapter 16, it's what we begin to call the passion story. The last few weeks of Jesus' life where we're going to see how in which he's going to be king. And it's this part in the middle from chapter 8 through chapter 11 that we begin to see the true identity of who Jesus is. It says, there is a king. You want a king. And, but you're not really ready for how he's going to become king. And we get to this part in chapter 8 where Jesus is starting to allow some of his identity to slip out. Where he's healing people and people are going, man, how did he do that? And who was that? And we see scenes where demons actually come and no more theology than to the disciples and the Pharisees. They come up and say, you're the son of God. Don't torture us before our time. And you know the story of how he sends the demons out into the pigs and they fall off the cliff. But why is it that even demons know who Jesus is and the very people who are extremely close with him often miss him? We find a scene in the Bible where the Pharisees and Sadducees have heard the stories of Jesus. They've heard about him surfing without a surfboard. That's pretty cool, right? Doesn't work for me. He's, he's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. And then all of a sudden, the, the religious people show up and go, Hey, hey, Jesus, we get the walking on water and like all the healing and stuff, but why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? That's gross. Isn't that weird? You ever felt like that as a pastor, Jeff? All this great stuff's happening, and all of a sudden you get a comment like, What? You want to know why we do what? No? You ever, you, ever, you ever felt like that as an individual where all this great stuff is happening and people are focused on the right or the wrong stuff and not the right stuff? Just in my church, just with my small group, just in my ministries? No, can we be honest that oftentimes it's human nature, right? Husbands, right? Wives, all of a sudden I come into my house and my house is a wreck and listen, burn the house down, it's over. You know what I'm talking about? We got two kids and one on the way. It's crazy. I think we should get better at two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Walk in in my house. I'm like, listen, forget this. Burn it down. We're starting over. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm so focused on the wrong stuff. And my wife's like, are the kids alive? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. What did you think about that? Yeah, you're worried about the house, but they're still living. We didn't go to the ER today. <laughs> it's pretty good. Right? Can we just be honest that oftentimes we don't see things the way we ought to see them? Jesus takes us on this journey. He heals this, this deaf man who they bring out at the end of chapter 7. And it says he does something like, like puts his fingers in his ears and spits on his tongue. Yeah, the wrestling with the Bible, the things that you go, What? Yeah, so he does this weird thing and heals this deaf man who has a speech impediment. And then the scene goes on, and they feed 4,000 people. And you're like, wait, I thought it was 5,000. Exactly, there's two times he does something crazy, like make a feast out of a Lunchable. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) 
So he, he goes on and, and he heals this. They feed 4,000 people. And then they get with these religious people like, give us a sign. And you're like, did you not see what he did with that Lunchable? You want a sign? He's like healing people and, and like making bread and fish come out of like nowhere. You know, like what, what is he doing? And they're like, give us a sign. We don't see nothing yet. And then, and then there's this, this, this moment where they get on a boat and they go somewhere. They're always getting on a boat and leaving people. And Mark's just taking you like a 16-year-old telling a story. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like, and then they did this. And then they went there. And then this happened. And you're just like, slow down. What's going on? And, and right in the middle of this, right before we get to this scene where Jesus lays hands on an individual, he touches him once, and then he asks him, what do you see? He says, everything's blurry. Looks like trees. I don't see clearly. And then he touches him a second time, and he sees clearly. Right in the middle of these stories, from deaf man and miracles out of Lunchables and blinded eyes, right in the middle, he says this peculiar thing. He says, watch out for the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and if you're not familiar with that, and, and, and Jesus starts talking about leaven, and they're on a boat and a journey. They're like, man, now that you mention it, bread would be awesome. Did anybody bring bread? You can read it in there. And Jesus is like, really? You were like, did you not see all the bread we had earlier? You didn't think to bring any on the boat? Like, who, who's, who had that job and missed it? You know what I'm saying? They're on a boat now. They're like, man, leaven, bread would be great. I'm hungry, man. Dude, this is going to get nuts. Twelve of us, nothing to eat. <laughs> it's not the skinny one we're taking out first. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, Matt, we know you're a tax collector. Think you're going out first. Like, like, who had that? He starts talking about leaven. And right in the middle of when he begins this conversation, he says, listen, you still don't understand who I am? You still don't get it? And then he says, watch out for religion and politics. You catch that? He says, watch out for the small things. See, leaven is the yeast that all of a sudden a small strand of yeast begins to change Everything, And he says, watch out for the leaven of Herod, the political establishment. And he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, religion. The one thing we go, yeah, you shouldn't talk about that, right? Jesus says, right in the middle, if you're not careful. See, the man who had the, the issue with his hearing also had a speech impediment. It wasn't that his speech was messed up. It was what he was hearing was messed up. Come on, are you with me? Oftentimes what we hear and what we, what we bring in to our perspective changes how we speak. You've heard it said like this. It's on bumper stickers or like some kind of refrigerator magnet or something like that. Our thoughts become our words. You know this, right? Our thoughts become our words. Our words, our actions. Our actions, our habits. Our habits, our character. Our character our destiny. You with me? You know that, right? Say it with me. Our thoughts become our words. Our words, our actions. Our actions, our habits. Our habits, our character. Our character, our destiny. It sounds like this verse in Proverbs that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he shall be. And all of a sudden what happens is, is our thoughts will become our 
words. Jesus says it this way. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So be careful what you put in, right? It was the thing that we always said in, in children's church and in the nursery rhyme. It says, garbage in, garbage out. So oftentimes, it is these two small strands that begin to make up pretty much everything. How people are governed and how we will care for people. How things are ordered, political. How people behave, religion. That begins to categorize much of our life and much of our Facebook feed. You know what I'm talking about? That thing that just never ends. You're like, where's the bottom to this? Are you kidding me? And, and, and your mood changes. Like, how could they think that? Are you kidding me? No, you don't live in the same world that I live in. Everything's on Facebook. You should see this. Everything you want, everything that's true, everything that's not true. And all of a sudden, what I hear begins to affect what I say. Then we go on. Jesus says, beware he gives us another picture, what we hear, and then he shows us this man that he heals, and he changes what he sees. He asks the disciples, he says, hey, hey, listen, do you not understand? Do you still not get it? They go to the next place, and then, and they meet this blind man. Many preachers or theologians oftentimes have a conflict about this particular passage because they oftentimes try to... to bring out the humanity of Jesus and say, listen, you've prayed for people and they didn't get healed just like Jesus. Can I just say that Mark is very strategic and Jesus is far more strategic. And he knows we're going to be reading this story. You go, Jesus, why did you touch him once and things were kind of blurry and then the next time it was all clear? Could Jesus not do anything he wanted? Well, maybe it was dependent upon that man's faith. And you go, man, no one had faith when he raised Lazarus from the dead. No one believed that he was coming back in three days. He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. And then he shows us things to give us insight into his character and his nature, trying to pull us closer in. So the question is, why did he show us that he touches us once and things will be not so clear, and the second time, everything will change. Why is it that when you meet Jesus at salvation, all of a sudden things become new and fresh, as if we were, what, what, what's that one song? I, I think it's this, this song that was like, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard of it, Amazing Grace. I think that's, do you remember that one? Remember that when that was cool? You remember? I, I once was what? What was that? Yeah? And then what's the one about the sight thing? I forgot that one. I once was blind, but now I see. Thank you for your help. Uh, lost that one. That wasn't in my notes. I don't know who took my notes. Um, I once was blind, but now I see. Do you know that every one of us have been blind? And when we touch Jesus, what happens is we begin to get a little bit of a glimpse. First John says it this way. He says, he says, 
And, and Paul says it in one of the, uh, his letters, he says, right now you see through a dim glass. You remember that? First Corinthians, he says, you see through a dim glass. He says, you don't really have the full, you, you ever took a glass and held it up that wasn't binoculars? Look through it, everything kind of looks a little blurry, wouldn't you say? No? Everything's a little, a little vague, but oftentimes, can we just be honest, when we meet, meet Jesus and we've been a part of culture and we've been around Jesus, we think we have the whole picture? Just in my church? I think it's just my church. I should probably stop now. See, what happens is, can I just say that there's a gap between salvation and glorification. And in the middle, things are going to be a little blurry. See, First John says it this way. He says that one day, I don't know yet what we'll be like, but when I see him face to face, I know we'll be like him. Paul says, we prophesy, we know in part and prophesy in part, and so you don't have the full picture, newsflash. And there's this gap between when you get saved and Jesus touches you first, and when he ultimately calls us up and brings us into his ultimate place that he wants to dwell with us in glory, this ultimate being with Jesus, this place of residence that we will dwell with him forever. That the Westminster Catechism says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the hope. But can I just say we're not there yet? Because I, don't, I know that every day for you isn't glory and enjoyment. Paul says it this way. He says, right, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I, if I tarry on, I'm going to be with Jesus. But when I, when I die, when I'm outside of my body, I'll be face to face and I'll be with Him. There's this gap. And here's where the humility has to come, friends, is that we don't have the picture in between. That our hope is that we pursue the Bible with such humility and we partner with one another to where I, I go, you know what? I'm, I'm seeing trees walking. It's weird. What, what, what do you see, friend? I, I, you know what? I don't really know what I see. You with me? Sometimes what happens is we act on our perspective alone and we'll miss Jesus. We'll go, hey, why didn't your disciples, why didn't your pastors, why didn't your teacher, why didn't the leaders, the followers of you? I'm so frustrated with your followers, Jesus. I kind of missed you. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get why they do those things. Let me tell you a story as I close. If I could have someone on keys or the guitar to come up and help me, that'd be great. A couple of weeks ago in my church, we, we did a water baptism. And it was absolutely incredible. And we keep baptizing. Our church is growing. God's doing amazing things in this small valley just north of Santa Barbara. And all these... People are just starting to flock into our church, and we have no ad campaign. We don't have any great advertisement. Uh, we don't have anything 
cool going on. We're just preaching Jesus, and people are meeting him, and it's changing their lives for his glory and the good of our valley and our coast. And there's a lady who came in, uh, to our church not long ago, and she's a, she's a highly educated lady. She has a Ph.D., and, 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 and she's a great gal, and we've started doing some ministry together. And I, I was kind of surprised because a couple weeks ago we had this great service, this kind of this kind of big service. And afterwards we're eating, and there was a 15-year-old boy who got baptized. And, and then another gal who at one point had a manic episode that I actually got called out to their house where she was being handcuffed and a hood being put over her because the cops didn't want her biting them or spitting at them. I got to watch this gal's journey to go from a manic, oppressed, and even some would say possessed young lady to where we were baptizing her a few weeks later. Amen? I'm so stoked out of my mind, and I can say that now because I live on the coast. It's awesome. I reckon that's all right. And I, I, and I, was, I was in the room where everyone's eating, and, and the guy was like, this lady, she was like, come here, come here, come here, Pastor Sam. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she's like what, was, what was that young boy's name that got baptized? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Pastor John knows. And she took, she looked at me and she said, I'll say to protect the, the innocent here, uh, I'll change her name to Jill. No Jill's in here, right? So Jill was like, I, I really think we should know their names. And I, I, it kind of took me back as a pastor. Like, I'm stoked out of my mind. People got sad. And, and it was kind of like, I, I really didn't like how you did that. Because we brought them up, we, we played a worship song, and right in this tank, in this horse trough, we're just dunking people right in the middle of worship. She goes, hey, I, I think we should know their names. And I put my hand on Jill, and I was like, that sounds like a critique. And you thought I punched her in the face. She was like, what? So that kind of sounds like a critique. And then... And then a couple weeks later, and I even sent an email like, hey, are you doing okay? I know that was rough. She went out of town a couple weeks later, even before I saw her the next time. All of a sudden, I got this email that was like, hey, you know, since you didn't ask about the changes to communion, I just thought I would say something. Really? There's a reason I didn't ask. It's like, I didn't like that, you know, and I didn't think this, and there was this deal, and, and like, I just went to fire back this email, like, well, <laughs> let me tell you, you know what I'm saying? And I got halfway through it, and I was like, I felt the Lord go, it, it's not really about that. It's not really about that. I deleted the email, said, hey, and I even let her know, hey, there was kind of a, a lengthy email, and I deleted it, you're welcome, you know, and and. And I was like, hey, how about you come in and let's, let's try to understand one another. I came in. She began to talk, began to give me all her reasonings. And I began to think about all the things she was saying. And then, and then the Lord kind of spoke to me. And I went, you know, Jill, I said, it, it sounds like 
that you have all these kind of preconceived things from whether your last church was or how you think things should be done. And you're kind of projecting them on this. And then I think what's happened is, is maybe you're missing that place. Maybe, maybe you've not fit in the community well. Maybe you're not making friends. And then all of a sudden you see something you don't like. And, and then all of a sudden just venom comes up. And I go, you know what? We love you. And, and it's okay to like be a part. But like everything that we do might not line up with how you think it might should go. And she, tears just kind of just stream down her face. And I begin to ask her, I go, like, and I thought about this. And maybe you're going, well, you should tell their names. And I'd be like, hey, anybody besides Jesus that you know in the Bible that got baptized that you know their name? I started thinking about the way we do things and the way we see things always come with some kind of lens. And I thought, man, what if the name of Jesus was just so great that just people saw people getting baptized? And they just, man, I want to be a part of that too because that looks like Jesus. Then I said, hey, it wasn't really about the little wafers and the deal. It's really about Jesus. It's not about the elements or how we did it. It's really about Jesus. What if you looked at the scriptures and said, this really isn't about doing church. This is about Jesus. And I wonder if Christians, like, 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 that makes you uncomfortable. Because sometimes what happens is when we meet Jesus, we think we see it so clearly. I kind of got this figured out. We think, man, I've been a part of church. This is how they should run this, or this is how they should run. Can I just let you breathe for a moment and go like, you don't have to have it figured out, but you do have to be honest that you don't have a clear view yet because you're somewhere between salvation and glorification. And the good news is you're in good company because that's where we're all at. And here's the task And I know I'm a little over my time. I'm just ignoring the red numbers that are scrolling right now. Can I just invite you into a family that says, you know what? What we read in 1 Timothy before I read Mark, he says, Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. I am whom and foremost. What if you said, let's just forget about all the preferences and and we started realizing that Jesus is here to save sinners like you and I. So we're in good company. Those who don't see it all together. Can Can I pastor for a moment and say, listen, your task is to be in community and in a church week after week where we look into the scriptures and we realize, I got this view. What do you got? And what do you got? And what do you got? And together, as we begin to share with one another, maybe the picture of Jesus becomes a little more clear. And if you'll allow yourself to wrestle with that, if you'll give people permission in your community to wrestle with that, if, you, if you'll realize that the people beside you are on a journey, they don't have it figured out either, friend. And that's good news. And the better news is that one day, when we see Jesus face to face, I don't know yet what Pipeline Church is going to be like. 
I don't know about Crossroads Church. I don't know about Sam Kaiser. I don't know about Cindy and Jeff and Jason. But I know, friends, that when we see him, we'll be like him. In the light of his marvelous grace. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you're so good to us. I thank you that the story you're writing is so much bigger than the page we're living on today. I thank you that you are writing a story throughout human history, and it's not about me, and it's not about a church with a title. It's not about the person across the aisle from me. It's not about the program. It's not about the ministry. Ultimately, this story is about you, Jesus. It's your story, and we're figuring out our part. And I thank you that right now we're somewhere between salvation and glorification, and things are a little blurry right now. But that's okay, because you've put us in good company. You've put us in a place with families where we're okay with the flaws and the error. But we'll communicate with one another. We'll encourage one another. We'll sharpen one another. We'll speak the truth in love to one another that we might grow. That each one of us, as the body of Christ, have a little bit of the picture. And together, we can see you more clearly. We thank you that you've touched our lives. You've opened our eyes that we're no longer blind. But we thank you that one day, we'll see you face to face. In that great day, in Jesus' name, for your glory and our good, amen.